How are you this morning? Doing very well. Uh, you know, watching the gold market go up and down as it always does. Yeah, I saw there was some non-foreign payroll uh, data out today that I think affected the markets. Um, so for people that are just joining us right now, I've got uh, Mr. Webb, Dr. Dave Webb. He's the CEO, President, and Director of 60 North Gold. And uh, we have done a few interviews with him, a morning drive, uh, I think, at PDAC, uh, was the most recent in March. And um, Dr. Webb, do you want to kind of take us through sort of, um, you know, where the company is right now and your your current focus? Sure, I appreciate it. I'll tell you, uh, Vancouver in July is a heck of a lot better than Toronto in March, um, <laughs> and some might say at any time. But uh, anyways, yeah, the uh, the company. Uh, we are a different kind of junior mining company in that we are not out exploring to find uh, more gold. We're not drilling holes to uh, report great intercepts and see if our stock goes up and down on that basis. Uh, we are developing a former past producer uh, to produce gold to participate in the market by selling gold at uh, current or higher prices. So. Uh, we acquired the Mon Gold property uh, a few years back. Uh, we purchased uh, mining equipment, the camp, the supplies, the services, everything we needed to uh, start production. We got our permits. Uh, we are the only uh, permitted mine and mill uh, in the Northwest Territories for gold. There are diamond mines. Uh, we are uh, Ramping down uh, underneath the two stopes that produced 15,000 ounces of gold from 15,000 tons of ore. Uh, so what we like about this is uh, with these gold grades, uh, they can be very forgiving. So even at today's market where people are bemoaning the price of gold uh, in Canadian dollars because we pay our workers and we pay our taxes, we pay everything in Canadian dollars. Uh, twenty-five fifty an ounce for gold in Canadian dollars is pretty good, right? Yeah, I, I, you're not gonna get an argument from me. I, if you look at a even a five-year chart of gold, it's uh, it's it's awesome, right? It's doing very well. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that we can make money on. And after all, uh, I think that's the whole business that we're in. It's not to find the biggest this or the biggest that. It's to make money. And uh, I've done exploration plays. I've built up ounces and done feasibility studies and pre-feasibility studies. I've operated gold mines uh, in the past. Um, the surest way to make money in an uncertain market is to mine something that you can mine very profitably. And with rare exceptions, uh, gold at any price we've seen in the last 10 years is very profitable. Do you want to sort of highlight the history of the project? Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting project uh, for a number of reasons. But I, I think uh, Yellowknife, uh, where our gold mine is uh, located, is kind of an un, uh, unknown or a forgotten gold belt in Canada. Uh, any gold investor uh, seems to know Timmins and Red Lake, Valdor, uh, Kirkland Lake. These are all beautiful Archean greenstone belts that host gold mines. Yellowknife, likewise, is an Archean greenstone belt that hosts gold mines. Um, 
it was discovered up in the uh, mid-1930s. Kamenko uh, found the Kahn mine in 1936 and moved rapidly to put it in production. Uh, but they also explored the belt, and in 1937, they found the Mon property. And it was a screaming discovery. Uh, high-grade quartz vein on the side of a hill, trenched out multi-ounce assays over five, six-foot widths. Very exciting. Development over the years went in spits and spurts, uh, not always successful, uh, but for various reasons, uh, it was a complex structure. Uh, We acquired the property and the global we, meaning when I first got involved back in the late 1980s, we moved it into production in the early 1990s. And uh, it, it was kind of a uh, an interesting way to go at at 100 tons a day it's really just a 6 to 8 man operation right 10 if you put a mill in and we uh, mined and produced but in 1930 uh, yeah 1997 the price of gold went below $300 an ounce and virtually no gold mine on the planet with very rare exceptions was making money yeah so two things happened then. Uh, one, our financial partner said, oh, be, whoa, whoa, be me. Uh, we better shut this down. And we all have uh, environmental bonds placed to ensure cleanups. Uh, he wanted his money back. So the operation was shut down. The equipment was removed. Uh, tailings were capped. Uh, access to the underground workings were, were blocked and, and sealed off. Uh, it was a terrible time. And I'll just point out, uh, because I'll get into the contrarian uh, style of investing, that was the first time in my life I actually went out and bought gold. I'd say gold bars, but they were really gold wafers. When gold is under $300 an ounce and nobody's making money and nobody wants it, well, then I'll, I'll buy it. So that that's the, the late history, uh, sorry, the early history. The latest history is uh, when we acquired the property, we had an option. We could just diamond drill and report some spectacular assays. But I've been working up in Yellowknife since the, well, since 1980. And uh, I understand the gold deposits very well. I did my master's thesis in Yellowknife. I did my PhD thesis. And one of the things I did is... <laughs> What do these gold mines look like? If you're going to go looking for them, what do they look like when you put a drill hole into it? And that was one of the features where I realized that drilling doesn't find these things so well. The con mine um, had terrible drill results, but they put into production anyways and ended up mining 6 million ounces uh, from 12 million tons of uh, ore. Right. So understanding what you're looking for is critical and what we have i believe is uh is going to be a, a wonderful large mine but it's going to evolve just like all the mines up there evolved yeah so through your own lens and how you see things a little bit differently based on exploration you know what can you kind of give us a little bit more insight onto what you see in, in, on this project and the property yeah. Uh, so what we're doing uh, in talking to the board of directors and to other investors, uh, it's a very low risk proposition. Diamond drilling, in my opinion, for these high grade nuggety gold deposits is very high risk. You either hit the vein or you don't. And if you hit the vein, it doesn't always have gold in it, uh, even though you might be in the middle of an ore body. 
Right. Uh, gold is very inhomogeneously distributed. So what we've opted to do is we know where the vein was mined. We know where the uh, the widths and the grades are. And we have drill holes below those stopes showing us that the vein continues. And not every drill hole shows spectacular gold values. Because, in fact, the history has shown us only one out of three hits ore grade results when you're in the middle of an ore body. So what we're doing is we're just driving a ramp uh, for another one and a half million dollar cost to get below the stopes that produce the one ounce per ton material and start taking out bulk samples. Consider it a really big drill hole. Okay. Um, so I did get uh, a question here via DM, and I just want to say thanks to everyone who's listening. Joining me is uh, Dr. Dave Webb, Webb of uh, he's the CEO, President, and Director of 60 North Gold. Um, so somebody was asking me about your your experience. Um, do you want to just take us through? And I you kind of touched on it, like going and doing your thesis uh, in Yellowknife. So um, maybe take us away from Yellowknife and, and sort of the other, you know, companies that you've, you've been associated with in your background. Okay. No, that's a, yeah, you need to know who's, who's running the show here. And I appreciate that question. Uh, and, and although I'll highlight myself, the, the board is extremely experienced and there's lots of people that, that add very much a lot of substance to the uh, the company, as well as our operations team, which we don't list, but they all have many, many decades, uh, and I'll say uh, between us, centuries of experience mining gold. So myself, uh, I got in the business very early because uh, <laughs> my father was in the business. So uh, I was one of those brats uh, that management put in place, and I had to work twice as hard to accomplish anything to get any respect because natural disdain for the uh, the executive office kids showing up uh, and i don't That's blame true. them uh, and absolutely and quite often we deserve that but i i started uh, working back in the uh, in the early 1970s as a diamond driller uh went cut my teeth on that just general labor uh, ended up getting an engineering degree. Uh, now it's civil engineering is the uh, department that uh, I'm hosted under uh, from the University of Toronto. And I rolled into a master's in uh, geology, uh, working on the con mine. It was uh, back in the early 80s. Hemlo was the rage. So uh, there was a consideration that perhaps uh, the gold mines in Yellowknife was some sort of deformed shirt horizon, an exhalative, because everything was low at the time. Uh, it's a structural deposit. So my PhD really focused on that uh, throughout the belt, just showing how do you find gold in the Yellowknife greenstone belt. And I was very successful. Uh, I staked uh, personally the Nicholas Lake deposit that turned into be a half million ounce deposit that went through various hands and ended up in Royal Oaks hands uh, as they were going bankrupt, picked up by other companies along the way. I staked the Discovery Mine when the uh, original leases lapsed. And we built that, uh, the Ormsby Zone, up into a 1.2 million ounce open pit and underground resource. Uh, developed mines in uh, overseas, uh, in outer Mongolia. Uh, very interesting, lovely place to work. But at the time, we got expropriated. 
And uh, that's something that a geologist and an engineer just doesn't foresee. But I worked with Gulf Minerals, uh, the Geological Survey of Canada, Kamenko, uh, and uh, I've consulted since uh, the early 1980s to various companies uh, around the world looking for gold deposits, mostly. Out of all of those uh, mm-hmm. that you've talked about, what was your favorite experience? A company to work for. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Uh, you know, working for the government, uh, it's a very unusual uh, way to work, a uh, different way, view on things. But you, you do talk to some brilliant people. Uh, with Cominco, uh, which I spent a lot of my time with because that's where my father was and I had a, a great uh, inn and did a lot there. I guess the most exciting was starting a mine in Mongolia, you know, at the end of the supply chain, uh, trying to move into a country that <laughs> doesn't have diamond drills, that doesn't have anything and develop that mine into production. Uh, that was rather exciting. Um, we used to say we were the first hard rock gold mine to start operations in the country's history. Uh, we were also the first uh, junior gold mining company to be expropriated. So, you know, good stuff, bad and stuff. Would you say, because you mentioned exciting, that project uh, in Mongolia was was um, exciting. Would you say that was your biggest challenge in your career or, or no? <laughs> That that was very challenging because uh, of the logistics, just trying to get anything done, uh, spending days without power in Ulaanbaatar, uh, spending weeks uh, in gares or yurts out in the uh, the countryside. We had some great people working for us and we, we accomplished a lot. Country is very rich. The people are wonderful. But uh, when the government gets involved, you know, it doesn't always work yeah. out. Uh, so what's your experience here in Canada working with the government and, and more specifically to bring it back to this project in Yellowknife? Well, I, I think Canada is uh, is leading the, the forefront, I guess, in uh, Aboriginal affairs and trying to make sure that uh, we recognize the First Nations rights to the land. So that is a, a layer that I didn't have to deal with in other countries. Um, The regulators, uh, for example, uh, we're controlled by the Mackenzie Valley Resource Management Act, which specifies that the regulatory board uh, is 100 percent. The board members are 100 percent native. So. Uh, that's who's issuing the licenses and the permits. So, um, you know, we, we don't do anything without making sure that we're not annoying our neighbors. Right. And so you have uh, your, how often are you in communication with them? Like, is that an annual thing or a quarterly thing or even a monthly thing? Keep going. Weekly? Or, or, or daily or oh, weekly. Really, eh? Yes, it is. It's rather extensive. So, uh, yes, we have to, we'll go out and we'll do some environmental sampling, measuring uh, the waters on the property. And occasionally you get a little spike. And uh, to date, most of our spikes, uh, we file them as exceedances to our uh, water quality or uh, exceedances to the CCME guidelines. And will be high on turbidity, and 
often that's in the spring when the uh, water is flowing rapidly. Uh, we've never had uh, an environmental issue on any of our discharges uh, from the mine, but we've had them in the area, uh, often kilometers away from where we're working, just because the baseline hasn't been evaluated well enough to uh, establish what is normal. Okay. Um, to kind of you know get more focused on on Yellowknife here, I think it's produced fifteen or twenty million ounces uh, since the nineteen thirties. How many how many mines did it take to produce that many ounces? The Yellowknife Belt uh, really had three big mines: the Con Mine, the Giant Mine, and the Discovery Mine. Uh, the Con Mine did six million ounces at a half ounce grade. The Giant Mine did eight million ounces at a half ounce grade, and the Discovery Mine, which is our lookalike deposit, uh, did one million ounces at one ounce per ton. Okay. Uh, at some point, I actually owned uh, with a partner the uh, Discovery Mine post-production, of course. And I stood on the outcrop, straddling the vein, which was only about four feet wide, a meter and a half or so uh, less than that, and thought, how on earth would somebody look at this, sample this, evaluate it, and come up with a million ounces at one ounce per ton? I mean, that's that actually was the start uh, for uh, Discovery Mining. Uh, discovery mine, sorry, and that went on to be uh, merged with Glamis Gold, and then uh, uh, merged uh, with other companies to become uh, the great multi-million ounce uh, company that we have today. Gold Park. Okay. Yeah, the grades on your on your property. What are we looking at in in comparison? Because you did say one, the third one was a lookalike mine. So, what grades are you working with? Uh, we're working with one ounce per ton past production history, and I'll just flag that as it's not a homogenous deposit, so we can make the grades pretty much anything we want. Uh, the surface, the crown pillar, uh, averages about th uh, close to five ounces of gold per ton. Uh, but as you go away from this folded quartz vein, the, the nose, uh, sorry, let me start again. The quartz vein is folded into a U shape. And uh, where it's the fold nose, uh, the hinge zone is thicker. You're dealing with up to three meter widths and grades, uh, you know, they can be uh, 10, 15, 20 ounces of gold per ton. And as you go along the limbs, it gets progressively skinnier. So uh, several hundred meters away, we're down to 10 centimeter widths and nearly 10 gram grades. So for our purposes, we mine what we want to mine, and it's going to be an economic cutoff as we proceed. Yeah, okay, that, that makes sense to me. Um, let's talk about the, the, blue, the blue sky potential here, and then you know maybe you can follow that up with sort of the, the downside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we really don't like talking about downsides, but uh, it's it exists, and all investors should realize yeah, that. That's fair. So the, uh, the the upside is that the mine that we're developing now, uh, we've averaged one thousand ounces of gold for every one meter vertical that we go down. 
So that's a, that's a metric that we use in designing mines and trying to evaluate the economics of it. The discovering mine that produced 1 million ounces of gold did so to 1,200 meters below surface. So about 830 ounces per vertical meter. So for the 15 meters that we've gone down, we're a little bit bigger than the Discovery Mine. Uh, the three mines I mentioned all went down uh, on average uh, about 1,300 meters deep from surface. So they, like all Archean gold deposits, they tend to be very deep. If they're found on surface and they go on for as deep as you want to mine or can economically mine. Uh, we've mined on the Mon property for 15 meters and we're developing now uh, to a depth of 35 meters or 20 meters below the old stope, which should generate, if we use that same 1,000 tons per vertical meter, about a uh, 20,000 ounce, uh, which we will be able to uh, turn into a resource if it's if everything else pans out i believe that will go for thousands or certainly many hundreds of meters and i believe uh over a thousand meters so we're, we're dealing with you know potentially a million ounce plus resource and the reason i say that is the history of the belt and the size of the structures the, the structure that hosts the mon goes for kilometers along strike. Okay. Elsewhere elsewhere on the property, we have the shear zone similar to the con and giant. Uh, they've been sampled, they've been mapped, uh, they've never been drilled. But that is exploration. And in my opinion, that's a higher risk. Uh, we have a volcanogenic massive sulfide deposit. Uh, these things occur in pods and lenses at a favorable horizon. We found that in 2018. We sampled it. Uh, unfortunately, there's not much copper in it, but uh, fortunately, it's over 300 grams of silver per ton uh, and about three grams of gold per ton. So uh, not quite as exciting as a one ounce per ton gold deposit, uh, but VMS or volcanogenic massive sulfides uh, these can be mapped out and traced using geophysics. That's they're very well known and very well studied. So we've done a, a pretty high resolution uh, geophysical survey over the property. We've had uh, third parties contracted to uh, uh, do inversions or interpret uh, this geophysics for us. We have several deposits uh, apparently along strike. So some are much, much larger than the one we sampled geophysically. So that's a, a target that we should get some drill holes into sometime, but we're not in a hurry for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did get a, a comment from one of our uh, our uh, executives uh, at 60 when he said, well, why aren't we talking about our IOCG or iron, iron oxide copper gold um mineralization and yes we we actually did find one on the property these are ultra large uh deposits typically like the olympic dam deposit or fortune minerals nico deposit they can be tens hundreds or thousands of millions of tons in size uh, ours lacks a geophysical response to give us something to go chasing uh, but the sampling did give us economically interesting nickel, cobalt, platinum, palladium uh, mineralization. 
So someone was asking me via DM, um, you know, how much money the company's been able to make off of this this property so far, and and if you're actually mining still. Do you want to answer that? Yeah, uh, we're still developing the mine, so it's really a two phase program. Uh, one, get the development down to where the mineralization is 20 meters below the old stopes and then cut into the vein so we've got samples that we can take out that's our plan for 2023 uh 2024 would have us bringing in a mill so that we can recover the gold from that rock uh we could call it ore if we had a feasibility study done but we've not done that uh we are just advancing the development to where we know the mineralization is and we'll let the results uh, decide whether it's worthwhile bringing the mill in at that time. And, so, no okay. production. And, and in regards to a feasibility study, that's probably not something that you're going to do, is it? Well, if we want to spend two or three times as much money as it takes to mine it, we could do a feasibility study. And uh, having done a number of these uh, in my life, I realized that there's a number of things you have to do. One, you have to get a whole bunch of drill holes into the deposit. So that's about a, a $2 million um, project right there. Uh, you have to get independence to do the resource modeling on it. And there's another uh, 100000 quarter million dollars, depending on the complexity of your, your resource. You then have to get an engineering group in to do some modeling and evaluations on it. Uh, to get your pre-feasibility study done, and then feasibility study is just more expensive on top of that. So for we have a choice. We can spend uh, two, three, or four million dollars to do a feasibility study on a, uh, a, a deposit that has past production history, or for one and a half million dollars, we can mine it. Right. Now, do you get any pushback from shareholders or investors that want you to still take that path, the more traditional path of spending all that money and poking holes around? Um, you know, like how do you handle that? I, I would, I would think that some people probably would say that's what you should do, right? So, how do you manage that? And, and you know, yeah, that that that's a a, a very common refrain that we hear. Um, usually from people that have no experience in doing this. Uh, but that is the history of the, the exploration business in Canada is to go through the various steps. And we created National Instrument 43101 to codify that and make it it's very specific. Um, it's done in a very specific way and reported a very specific way. So uh, as I said, uh, I owned with a partner the Discovery Mine and I stood on that deposit that produced a million ounces of gold. Uh, from a four foot, uh, five foot wide quartz vein. It goes down 1,200 meters. So uh, to get the millionth ounce, you have to go down 1,200 meters. Uh, you can't drill a vertical hole on that. You would be drilling uh, angled holes into it. So you need two, two and a half kilometer drill holes to pierce a vein uh, 1,200 meters deep. Uh, you know, four foot or five foot wide vein uh, that is very inhomogeneous where only one out of three holes hits ore grade material. Uh, you have to pierce it uh, approximately every 25 to 50 feet. So, you know, every uh, 10, 
to 20 meters, you need a pierce point. So in order, virtually it's impossible to drill off the discovery mine, the, the known entity. And I can show you the same thing on the con mine and the same thing on the giant mine. So it's, if it doesn't work on the very profitable, very well-established and well, very well-studied mines, what makes you think it would work on a, a less well-developed mine? The the con mine was discovered in 1936 uh, and into production rapidly after that. They drilled, uh, they had a surface outcrop that averaged 17 grams of gold per ton. Very nice. Uh, over about two meters, uh, they put 14 drill holes into that and the drill holes averaged 2.2 meters of 5.3 grams of gold per ton. In 1936, that's called waste. That's something you walk away from. Right. Uh, they put the mine in and ended up producing 12 million tons at 15 grams of gold per ton uh, very successfully. And the way they did it is they bulk sampled. They sunk a shaft, subdrifted into the vein, and they extracted the mineralization. And that led to, let's bring the mill in, let's just keep going and build it. And it grew from, it started out at 100 tons a day, and ended up going to about, uh, I believe it was over 1,200 tons a day uh, at its peak. So are there any other exploration opportunities on the Mon property outside of the, the A-zone gold development? Yeah, well, we do have the shear zone targets uh, and the uh, volcanogenic mass of sulfide I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and in the area, uh, I was fortunate to have worked with another company uh, that uh, I, I got involved with. And uh, there's a, about a quarter million ounces of open pitable resource, uh, about five kilometers from uh, our camp. And there's... Uh, we're completely surrounded by uh, other claims. The, the big ones are held by Gold Terra. Okay. Any other non-owned properties under development around uh, around sixty? Well, yeah, that that would be the uh, the Gold Terra is under exploration. They've flown airborne and they're doing work. Uh, they're really focused at the south end of the belt, and we're at the north end of the Gold Terra claims. Uh, Gold Mining Inc. Uh, owns that uh, the the Clan Lake property, which is about five kilometers from uh, from our camp. And so, what's with all the lithium explorers all around you? Wow, that's the uh, the running joke that I hear these days. Uh, what's the difference between gold exploration and lithium exploration? You can finance lithium exploration, right. and uh, this comes back to that contrarian comment I said that if everyone's looking for lithium and everyone's pouring money into it, and we are surrounded by lithium explorers uh, on the Mon property, um, eventually people are going to find some. And if you have uh, a million people out there looking for it, a million different projects with virtually unlimited funds supported by governments, uh, you're going to find a lot of lithium and you're going to develop a lot of lithium. And eventually, 99.9% uh, .9 of those other projects are going to fall by the wayside. Right. Uh, and you're paying premium price because it's hot. Everyone wants it. I'd rather go after gold when nobody wants it and buy it when it's cheap and then wait for that time. Um, you know, as we started off talking, uh, $2,500 an ounce for gold today in Canadian dollars uh, means our 100 ton per day mine 
if we average the 100 uh, one ounce per ton that we did historically on this property, and when I say we, it was myself, uh, Jerry Hess and Albert Agenberger and others that, that put this operation in. I was the chief uh, geologist, chief engineer in getting the uh, MON started back in the 1990s. Um, that's that's very pro- that can be very profitable. So, you know, uh, at the beginning of this uh, Twitter space, you kind of you talked about you, you used to buy gold when it was basically under three hundred dollars, and no one can make money. Um, you know, and and to me, that's a no brainer. Makes makes a lot of sense, right? So now, if you were to if you fast forward to where we are now, where would you? How would you compare the price of twenty five hundred dollar gold versus where you know? back in the day when it was 300 when you sort of look at inflation right do you think that that you know that $2500 in in today's terms is maybe close to that $300 number or no it's it's, it's much better carl uh the uh, our our mining costs our, our direct cash costs to mine gold at the mon property in the 1990s mid 1990s when we were shutting down uh was $300 an ounce and if you go to the uh, Bank of Canada Inflation Index, and they've got a really neat calculator yeah. there, you just type in when it was, where Let's it was, it. and up pops. I think it's five hundred and fifty dollars or thereabouts. What what was um, the website you said? That's the Bank of Canada. Bank of Canada Inflation Calcul- Inflation Calculator. Right, let's do it. I'm going to do it here. Uh, what what uh, year am I put? One hundred dollars. I'll put in 1990. <laughs> Put in 1995 is uh, when we were, that's when we had to shut down because uh, gold price uh, went below $300 an ounce. Actually, 1997. But Okay. So $100 in 1995 would cost $179 in 2023. Okay. So not, not quite a double. Yeah. So $300 cost would be not quite $600. And that's for an ounce or a ton of rock. If we were mining that same grade and just kept going, that would be a, a you know, I, I think my numbers are pretty close to $2,000 a ton operating profit right. at 100 tons a day. That would, uh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, I, I like making a million dollars operating uh, profits a week. Uh, but, you know, that that's... That's neither here nor there. That's uh, that requires real economic studies. These are just conjectures of you know what if and using historical models to uh, or historical costs to go forward. Um, I have talked to different mining engineers and we've gone through the numbers, which we are prohibited from reporting because National Instrument Forty Three One Hundred One says we cannot do you that. Gotta, you got to spend the money to do that. <laughs> yeah, we have to spend four million dollars to tell you that. And we're not about to do that. That's uh, I'd rather spend one and a half million dollars and just start doing it. Yeah. But the uh, w- however you want to work it, uh, the equipment that we have today is much better than the equipment than we used back in the 1990s. Back then, we used jack legs or handheld drills to do everything. Today, we have uh, a very neat, narrow-bodied uh, electric hydraulic jumbo that can drill. Oh five times as fast. Uh, we no longer have just one two-yard scoop. We have two because these things do break right. down. Uh, you can't be shut down at any point. We have underground mine trucks. We have 
uh, two compressors in case one goes down. We have two generators in case one goes down. We have uh, really tried to make this the least risky operation possible. I don't want to have, and nobody in our group wants to have issues that, oh, we can't get a fan belt. We're down for a week. Uh, not going to happen. So we've been close to 40 minutes now. Let's let's talk, let's finish here with the upside. Um, where you are, it, it must be difficult to raise money if you have to raise money. And then, of course, how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, okay. The, uh, the, the upside is uh, we fully, uh, the plan is that we develop the next level, the second level of the mine, which should give us around about 20,000 ounces or just under a year's production at 100 tons a day. Okay. Uh, we would bring the mill in uh, in about six months from now uh, up the winter road and install it. We've already sourced the mill. And it's, it's set to come in. Uh, and we're permitted to right. do that. Uh, it took us six, uh, 60 days last time we installed a 100 ton per day mill to get it worked, all the bugs worked out and have get it going. Because you have to assemble it and uh, things don't always work well in the right. bush. So we have better equipment, better people, better everything else that we could do. It will take us about 60 days to get it assembled and going. And then when you uh, finally get that steady state, 100 tons a day, uh, we will have the ability to look below the level. Is there a third level and a fourth level? Like all the existing mines, we do have our own diamond drill on the property and we can poke holes underneath that. Uh, second level, just to show that the vein continues and where do we want our development to go. So that's uh, that's the upside. I firmly believe this will go for many hundreds of meters depth, if not thousands of meters depth. We have the shear zone hosted gold deposits, and these are what Gold Terra and others are looking for. This is a much bigger prize. Uh, these mere million ton, one ounce per ton deposits are not something that the big companies are terribly interested in. But if you can get a 16 million ton, 15 gram per ton deposit, that is interesting to the big companies. And almost all junior companies are looking, they're just expiration arms for the big companies. They're hoping to get into that wheelhouse where they'll get bought out. We do have that target on the property I did do a PhD on how do you find the uh, the mineralization in these big structures. And we have some techniques that are not commonly applied, but we do have uh, samples from our shear zones where they crop out on the edges of the swamps. Uh, you know, with seven gram per ton uh, over six meter widths, which is certainly economically interesting. Like Kimberlites, which people seem to have understood in Canada that they're soft, recessive rocks. So you look for your indicator minerals and at the head of the train, you get a swamp or a lake. Shear zones are also very recessive. So the con shear zone is not exposed on surface. The Campbell shear zone, the giant shear zone, these are not exposed on surface. They are the linear swamps that people speculate might be there. And you certainly don't see the gold-bearing quartz phase. Uh, what we have is exactly that. But on the edges of these linear swamps, we get little shear zones coming out that are gold-bearing with economically material grades. 
So that is the a, a big upside. Yeah. Okay, so the company's sitting under five million market cap. I think it's between three and a half or around three to four million market cap. What percentage of this do you own yourself? Yeah, it's a it's a small little company. So uh, uh, under my control directly from companies that I own and control or personally that I own, uh, I'm at about twenty five percent of the company. Okay. So. We're a little bit illiquid because uh, there are other large shareholders that uh, are listed. I'm not going to mention their names, but with management and insiders, uh, I think we take that up to about 45% ownership. So not terribly liquid. Right, because so that's probably only, um, let me have a look here. You probably only have 10 to 15 million shares outstanding that are available. Um that would be correct. I can't see. Uh, I can't look at a level two or level three while we're on, on this call. But uh, it would be probably very difficult for someone to accumulate a position, which leads me to my last point. Where can people reach out to you? Because I'm sure you know uh, yourself or an IR company, if you have one, you can facilitate um, you know uh, trades and, and 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 shares. So if somebody wanted to step in here or come into a financing, where can they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, as long as you're not in the U.S., we can't be talking to uh, American investors um, directly if we're doing a financing. Okay. So, ex- excluding that, uh, anyone else could go to our website, uh, <laughs> which I just pressed the button on the top of my screen. It's one of these things that uh, if I could quote it uh, right off the bat, I would. I believe it's uh, www.16northgoldmining.com. Yeah. yeah. And all the contact information, phone numbers, emails, et cetera, are, are available on that. So 16northgold.com. And the ticker is SXTY, uh, listed on the CSE. Where else are you listed? Uh, we're listed uh, on the U.S. Uh, OTC. And in Frankfurt, uh, which has proven to be a very good thing because a lot of our European investors find it much easier to trade in Frankfurt than they do uh, on any North American exchange. Okay. And uh, those European investors usually hold for a while, don't they? It's tough to sell to a European investor an expiration play. Uh, The idea of production, that appeals to them. The actual inverse uh, is what usually appeals to Canadians. Uh, Canadians have a great love of the expiration play because uh, they all buy into the Lassonde uh, curve, and that's where the greatest gains are made. Yeah. Um, and and that, there's a lot of truth to that. But that's uh, buying, hoping for a greater fool, or hoping for that next drill hole to come in. You live drill hole by drill hole. Um, and I've done that with many companies in the past. Uh, that's risky. Producing gold at a past producing gold mine uh, that has very high grades uh, and a production history of producing at those high grades that's fully permitted, um, that's one of the least risky propositions I could think of. 
Well, it's always a pleasure speaking with you and catching up. Uh, we seem to do it at least once or twice a year. Um, maybe I can catch up with you in the fall. Uh, are you going to be uh, marketing the story at all? Do you have anything planned, uh, places to go to, conferences, etc.? Uh, right now, I plan to go up to Yellowknife and be digging rock. Uh, that's one of these things where you just can't keep a geologist away from a good high-grade story. So uh, the summertime is not the time to be promoting uh, because too much to do. There's just things to uh, go see, and um, that's what I want to yeah. do. Uh, in the fall, yes, you'll see us start turning on the... Uh, the promotion a little bit harder i would believe uh, we'll be talking a little bit now and obviously uh, once we start cutting into the gold bearing vein uh, if everything goes according to plan uh, we will be reporting some spectacular numbers and samples is what i would hope well i'll be paying attention um i i believe i'm set up to get alerts on on the company so uh, thank you very much for taking the time today i think you did a great job explaining the company the uh, the pros the cons uh the game plan which is a little unorthodox um and you're you know you're sticking to your guns here so i'm pulling for you and uh last word to you well i appreciate it carl and it's just uh if this is uh, a proposition that looks appealing to people now Imagine what it'll be like when we finally ride that tidal wave when gold becomes popular again, which it inevitably yes, will. I, I, I do believe that. Yep. Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed your first Twitter space uh, today. It was. Uh, it, it, I, I know you found it pretty easy to work when we did a little test yesterday. That was awesome. Uh, so maybe we'll do this again. Appreciate it, Carl. And. Uh, Next time, maybe you'll be riding in my vehicle up at a mine site. Yes. Well, you know, I, I do get a lot of people that mention that on Twitter spaces. I've been, I've been offered now three site visits, but, it, but um, I don't know. Nothing's come to fruition. So, I, you know, I'd really love to see that part of, the, uh, of Canada. And, you know, you, you're so experienced with these things that walking around uh, the property, having someone show me, I think you'd, there'd be no one better than, but than, than you. So uh, maybe we can make that happen. Appreciate it, Carl, and thanks All for your right, time. Take care.